Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Nocta Macro Detectors is the fastest growing manufacturer in the industry, and for good reason. Many detectorists, including Mike Hare, call us the most innovative, but we are so much more than that. We listen to and care about our customers. We also offer a wide range of detectors to fit all of your needs. Come check out all of our products today at www.noctadetectors.com. Detectors for everyone, everywhere. A lifetime. Welcome to the All Metal Mode Podcast with your host, Michael Hare. Tune in every Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, with co-host Gypsy Jules, and every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern with Matt Hoffman, as we talk to guests, discuss metal detectors, equipment, and everything treasure-related. Feel free to join in the discussion in the chat room during the show, and please, if you like what you hear, we'd appreciate you taking a moment to hit that like button and share the link with your friends. We hope you enjoy the show. The All Metal Mode Podcast starts right now. Buddy, this is Mike here, and you're listening to the All Metal Mode podcast with my very special co-host, Mr. Dorian. Um, oh boy, I'm already off to a good start here. Um, you can find us on Facebook at All Metal Mode, as well as All Metal Mode Podcast UK. 
All Metal Mode is every Monday and Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And All Metal Mode UK is every Thursday at 8 p.m. GMT Time or 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, The latest issue, uh, August issue of Dirt Digest Magazine, is now available. It's a free online magazine. You can check us out at dirtdigestmagazine.com. Uh, we're always looking for articles. If you got something in mind, reach out to me. Uh, mhair at dirtdigestmagazine.com. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, however, I don't care how you get a hold of me. If you got an article, need help, have an idea for an article, reach out to me. We'd love to have it. We're always looking for submissions. Um, if you go to dirtdigestmagazine.com, look for treasure room submissions, I believe, is what it's under. And, uh, if you found something cool, it doesn't even have to be recent. You know, we'd like if it if you did find it months or years ago, please state that. Uh, but you upload a picture or two or three, however many, and then just give us a brief description, and we'll get it published in the, the first chance we get. Um, so there you go, and uh, please help spread the word about the All Metal Mode podcast. Don't forget, you can go to Spreaker. You can listen live to to join in chat. Once you start the show, a rectangle bar pops up along the bottom. Um, Click on that bar, and once you're there, um, you'll see a little chat bubble pop up. And you can join us in in chat. Um, You can go to Spreaker anytime and listen to the show. You can also download it from Spreaker and listen to it. Um, at your convenience while you're on the road or however you'd like. You can also find us on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube, and some other affiliates. So uh, tonight we, we, we're we just going to kind of got some different, different things we're going to discuss. And uh, we don't have a guest, but uh, how you doing, Mr. Cook? Hey, cut out the Mr. stuff there, bud. I, I demand no respect. <laughs> Whatever. Well, you you know, Bye. I see yeah. I I see George Kenzie in the room, and and I'm talking to you. So uh, all I can think about is respect. Well, we appreciate that. We old geezers, I do appreciate that. But really, I just I just really prefer just to be Dorian. Um, it's a tough name to live with, but I got stuck with it. I'm a junior, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, made it this far, so maybe we'll we'll be able to handle the rest of the way. Uh, thankfully you will never know the nickname I carried as a child. That way I won't have to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I, um, yeah, we, we kind of wanted to, uh, to talk to the group tonight about in a subject called paying your dues. And what we're talking about is that there are many different aspects of metal detecting. I think we all, you know, have an idea of that. Probably some, some of you have never even considered, you know, of course, most all of us are familiar with coin and relic hunting and even nugget hunting. And then there's ring and water hunting. Um, And it just goes on and on, really. There's about, you know, 20 or 30 different ways a metal detector can be used to find treasures of various kind. Because whether you're talking relics or coins in the end, folks, we're all treasure hunters. Everybody in the world is, in a way, one way or another, hunting treasure, whether they realize it or not. So what we you know, like to do, Mike and I want to uh, uh, 
talk about just some of the basics of some of these different aspects of metal detecting because a person can be exceptionally good in one and be lousy in another. And I'd like to uh, uh, start out with a story, a true story, uh, that occurred while I was uh, working for Charles Garrett back in the 70s as his marketing director. Uh, I think you'll see the lesson in it. Um, I had been a Garrett dealer before uh, I was asked by Charles Garrett to take over that position. Uh, He and I actually hunted Spanish treasure together out in West Texas, and I always treasure the time I got to spend uh, with him. He was certainly one of the great figures in the metal detector industry uh, and its development. But anyway, uh, what I did for him, you know, basically – I was in charge of the dealer program. It was my responsibility to set up a dealer network in the United States to sell our detectors. And uh, I also was responsible for designing and placing our advertising. And I did a lot of public relations work. And I was a field tester. Uh, happened to be, uh, during my time there in the late 70s, the only marketing person in the United States in the metal detector industry who actually used metal detectors. So the dealers liked that real well. They, they felt like they were talking to one of their own. And uh, anyway, I got, uh, I got, I don't want to say I got stuck, but let's say when Charlie Garrett's personal treasure hunting friends would come to town, uh, I would be asked to take them out on their first ever Civil War relic hunt. And some of these guys were well known. They'd been in the magazines, many magazine covers, written books. Uh, about having found Spanish treasures and so on. And in this particular story, two of these guys who were treasuring partners came to visit us from way out in California. And they'd never, of course, been on a Civil War relic hunt, but they were very well publicized and had been very successful in their chosen field of hunting Spanish treasures that had been buried or sealed up in old mines, things like that. So Mr. Garrett asked me if I would take them uh, relic hunting, and so I took them to Arkansas to a battlefield called Jenkins Ferry and picked up uh, uh, two new Garrett Deep Seeker metal detectors out from the stock room before we left for them to use, and I had my own that I brought. Well, Mike, we got to the site, and I took them in to an area of the battlefield that I had always been successful in hunting. Uh, And we went in about 8.30 that morning, And we started hunting. All three of us are using the same detector uh, with a big old 14-inch coil on it because it was a very sandy loam uh, in a river bottom, and the water was fought in knee-deep water, or the battle was fought in knee-deep water because the river had flooded. And so the mini balls and artifacts got tromped and pushed down into the mud and the loose soil very deep. So it was definitely, it was easy to dig, but, uh, you know, we dug measured minis out of there at 23 and a half inches. Well, anyway, we started hunting and these guys uh, were absolutely, totally confident that they were going to come out with, you know, all kinds of relics. So we started hunting this area and they're not finding anything. And I'm popping a mini ball here and there, pretty regular. And about a half hour into the hunt, they're starting to whine and complain. 
oh, this is terrible. Oh, you know, you take us to a worked out spot. I said, well, I'm digging mini balls. And, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, they didn't know what to say at first, but about another hour and it's, okay, you got a souped up detector. You work for the Garrett factory. So, the uh, you know, the techs in the back have souped your detector up and it goes deeper than ours. Well, I just took my detector, handed it to the chief complainer, and took his detector and went on hunting. I kept finding many balls. They didn't. And I told them, I said, now, your best finds, I said, you guys have got to get used to this kind of hunting because you've never done this before. And they didn't believe that for an instant. They just thought they were going to go in there and they were going to do just as good as I did. And it was killing their egos because, you know, here, here they had maybe one or two mini balls between them. And I already had, uh, uh, I was pushing 30 to 40 already. So the day wore on and the complaints got worse. Uh, you know, they thought of every excuse in the world as to why that they weren't doing as good as I was. So I told them, I said, your best finds are going to come about three to five o'clock this afternoon as you get used to this type of hunting, get used to the site. Well, unbeknownst to them, we were in, in deep woods, but I knew my way around. I'd, I'd hunted that battlefield many times. And so I took them in a big circle. And Mike, uh, we got back to the same exact area I started them in about three o'clock. Mm. And by this time, they're starting to find mini balls. And they're hitting them pretty regular. And I'm still hitting them. I'm hitting them even better than I did when I started out. Because the more, you know, when you go on a hunt uh, and you haven't hunted in a while, you don't get your edge until after you've been on the field for four or five hours. So uh, I'm getting hot, you know, as far as finding these things. And they're beginning to find them because they're beginning to understand what the signals sound like and so on. Right. So one of them says to me, at the end of the day, between them, they've got about 30 mini balls, and I had nearly 100. And one of them says to me, how come you saved the best place for last? I said, look at that tree over there. They looked at that tree where I'd taken my big Bowie knife, and I'd, I'd put a couple of notches in the bark that were obviously fresh. I said, I did that this morning. This is where we started this morning where you guys said was worked out and there wasn't anything here to find. And you've been digging mini balls for the last three hours here. Oh, that shut them up. They didn't know what to say to that. That's fine. But it, but it illustrates the point. You see, they may have been great. They may have been 10 times better than me at finding Spanish treasure. Right. But they right. were, they were on my turf. They were in my backyard <laughs> And this was a discipline of metal detecting that I understood a whole lot better than they did. I had paid my dues in relic hunting already. They had not, so to speak. Yeah, I think it's a it's a great topic. I, I remember years back when I thought, Oh, I'll go I'll go water hunting and I knew my detector in and out. Um I thought I, it would just be a real easy transition. Well, let me tell you, there's a lot of skill, different skills than, than I was used to. Number one was standing in the water. And, you know, I was at a, fre a freshwater lake, but you still get waves from boats and stuff about knock you down. And, 
you know how to dig, how to pinpoint with your with your foot and and your what you, you know there's so much skill that goes in that to to learn that to do that properly. I'm still by no means a, a, a water hunter, you know, and there's difference differences. I've never even been to the ocean, Dorian. I've never seen the ocean, believe it or not. Um, but one of the things I want to do this year is go down to Galveston and uh, do some detecting. Um, I think Gypsy and I have been talking about it, and we're, we're going to do it. And and then, uh, you know, something happens, I can't make it, then she's got something happens. But we're going to do it this year. And, you know, talking to her about it, well, there's a lot of things I didn't know about that, even though I feel pretty confident and pretty, pretty good at freshwater lakes. Now there's a big difference and some of it will carry over. I mean, one of the things I learned real quick was, and people do it different, you know, when you're on land and you, you pinpoint and you, you know, I keep an uh, an eye on where I'm going to stick my shovel in. I move my coil and stick my hand digger shovel in, depending on where I'm hunting uh, well, when you're in the water, you can't see. So what I, what I learned to do was put my, my, uh, foot at the back of my coil, move my coil and then get, get my, uh, scoop right in front of my, my foot and do it like that. I mean, but that took time to learn and you're, you're balancing, you know, you're kind of not, well, you're not balancing at different times you are on one foot and stuff. So yeah, there's, a lot to learn and there's so many different aspects of this hobby. Um, and I yeah, think- yeah, this is a perfect example. I mean, you just gave us a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Uh, and you were already, you were already an accomplished coin hunter. You could go into a field and be totally comfortable and right at home. And you knew exactly what you were doing, right? Right. But like you said, suddenly you're on, it's, you're on new turf. Um, I got to meet, as in my work with Garrett, I got to meet a lot of the top hunters in these different disciplines. And uh, I got invitations to go hunt with them. You know, for example, I got an invitation to go dredge gold on, on Bull Creek in Mariposa County, California, right in the 49er country. And I got to end up spending all day long in a pool of water up to my waist that was like 40 degrees. And I came out totally numb from the waist down. And we used a two-inch dredge. And moved a whole lot of rocks out of that hole. And we came up uh, the, for two of us for a really hard eight-hour day's work of dredging. We came up at the time with about $90 worth of free gold to split between us. Wow. So, But that was my first experience. And he told me, he says, he says this is really good for a first-timer. Uh, but I realized that the guys that dredge gold, even though they're not using a metal detector in a way, uh, in a way, a dredge is a metal detector. You know, it, it gets down in there and gets those, the gold out of those crevices. It only detects, it recovers. Uh, but those guys that consistently do well and make, you know, the big bucks, they do it because they are very skilled and they have learned all the ins and outs. Uh, you know, they know the they know the dangers. They know where it's safe. Uh, they know where it's, where's the best places to, to hunt this gold and so on. Um, but, uh, you get into, um, 
Well, for example, we're coin hunters. You know, I started out coin hunting. Uh, I guess, I guess I found somewhere between 170 and 175,000 coins. And there are people that are listening to me right now that could say, well, I found over 500,000 and I would say, congratulations. You know, you've done a lot more coin hunting than I have probably, uh, you know, because my time has been divided between coin hunting, relic hunting, uh, nugget prospecting, uh, treasure cache hunting. I've done, I've done quite a bit of that. I actually hunted treasure caches for two years professionally. That's all I did. That was my work. Mm. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Uh you know, so I've had a lot of, I've been exposed to a lot of these different disciplines and I'm fairly competent in several of them, but, uh, you know, we have a couple of guys in our group, uh, Ronnie Heyer and Jim Pugh, that the, the, these guys are king of the kings of the been there, done that club. And when it comes to, when it comes to water hunting, uh, if I were to go out with them, I would feel like a fish out of water, uh, you know, because they know all the ins and outs and tricks having done it for, you know, what, over 40 years. So that's fine, though. That's the kind of people, see, if you want to learn that discipline, if you get an interest, say, I really want to water hunt, you need to hook up with guys like that. And don't expect to keep up with them because you're not going to be able to. You know, they're going to come out with fines that will make you drool, but that's the first step towards your becoming competent in that discipline. That's when you start paying your dues, and when you've got them all paid in terms of experience and you've been through dry runs and failures, and then finally you start seeing gold come out of the water, you know, it's, it's going to be, uh, you're going to say, wow, this was worth it. So I, I really want to encourage the newer people, you know, don't get discouraged if whatever discipline you're choosing, you know, whether it's coin hunting, relic hunting, a combination don't get discouraged if you're not burning the, the ground up right now or right, you know, right at first. Hang in there and pay your dues. Get hours on your machine. Learn that machine till it's like an extension of your body. Don't be trading machines every three or four months because you think this company over here is – uh-oh, hang on a minute. 
I am outside, and here comes, out of nowhere, a major rainstorm. Folks, I got to take a minute. I, we can't hear you, Dorian. Can you hear me now? Yep, there you are. All right, I've got a rainstorm. Just blew in out of nowhere. wasn't expecting it, and I got to get my computer and get in the house with it. So give me about a minute here. Okay. Yep. No problem. No problem. But yeah, I think, you know, I think this leads into another great topic. Uh, you know, if you've been in the hobby long, you've seen people called out for, for all their great finds and stuff. And, uh, you know, or how many of something they find. And I'll give you a great example. I know some guys that, that'll find several hundred silver coins a year. I haven't seen it much in the last few years. And people that, that are new to the hobby or don't have the equipment or don't know their equipment, uh, you know, will we'll oftentimes call those people out because they do really good. Well, there are people in this hobby that put in the time, the effort, they know their detector, they know where to detect, and they go out and do it. I know, you know, although I live in Texas now, we've had some Ohio people that have been called out, you know, even people that I've hunted with because they found 500 silver, 500 plus silver coins uh, in a year. Well, it's very doable. Uh, have I ever done it? No. I, when the When the crops are out, that's where you'll find me. But I've I've gotten well over a hundred, um, you know, in just the summer, and uh, you know that's not my style of hunting even. But if you know your detector, but you know there's guys out there that are getting out ev almost every single day after work and weekends and and hitting it hard for the whole year, several times a week, and and you know if you're new to the hobby or you're now. You know, at the same time, some people do need called out. I mean, there are people faking fines. It's really become quite a an issue in our hobby. But don't, just because you're not finding the same thing and, and somebody else is, don't always doubt them. I remember when the Explorers were starting to get a little, the, the Mind Lab Explorers were starting to get a little following here in the United States. And... I was uh, part of one. Uh, I, I was part of one forum at the time that I really I, I liked. Spent a lot of time there, and these guys using these explorers. And at the time, I remember two people in this uh, forum were had explorers. I don't even remember which one. I don't, I think it was past the XS because. Yeah. Well, anyhow. My point is they started posting all these great finds and all these coins and stuff. And they were, I mean, they were just outright being called liars. And I can tell you, although it's far from perfect, the Explorer line, the the E-Track, those are some of the best detectors for deep silver coins uh, that I've ever used. And, you know, I've used quite a few different detectors. I mean, they've got their flaws in a lot of different areas and stuff, and, and they are heavy. Uh, don't get me wrong, they're great detectors, but, boy, are they do they sniff out that silver like nothing I've ever used. And, and they'll ID them properly and at depth and everything else. So, you know, I've seen these poor guys just getting beat up left and right, you know, 
those are the people you want to talk to, associate with, you know, just like myself, um, you know, Dorian, Dorian has hooked me up with, with some, some other people that have been in the hobby a long time. Um, you know, just cause I'm, I've been at 20 years doesn't mean I know anything. These guys like Dorian and, uh, uh, some of the other guys he's hooked me up with George Kinsey, um, I've always got time to talk to George. You know, George is a wealth, is wealth of information. Uh, I, I feel like a lot of egos get involved in this hobby. As a matter of fact, I seen something today, a post, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk about it. But it, I thought, wow, what an ego, you know. And it made me think of George, uh, because George just posted in the All Metal Mode uh, Facebook group some gold coins he's found and his button collection is incredible. And he posted a table with just heaping with buttons and, and relics and stuff. I mean, you know, those are the people I want to, I want to talk to and, and get advice from and learn from. And, you know, I see these people that have been in the hobby a hot minute that think they're experts and, you know, would never give give old George a minute. Well, that's okay. I'll learn from him and I'll pass it on to the right people. Uh, you know, same with Dorian and some of the other people he's he's uh, put me in touch with that, you know, I've already learned so much from these guys. And, uh, you know, I, not only do I love learning, I love sharing what I've learned. But are, do we have you back, Dorian? Oh, yeah, I'm back. I, I, I'm in the house safely out of the rain here now. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm in complete agreement with what you're saying there. Uh, you know, just to illustrate a case of my own ignorance, uh, I was down in Florida and I thought, oh, boy, I'm going to get to hunt the beaches. It, it was a, really the first time. Uh, and I went to places. I went to, for example, uh, a little swimming beach near Sebastian Inlet. Uh, that's downwind from Cape Canaveral, some miles, um, on the coast. And uh, I went out on the beach and you could see, you know, thousands of footprints in the sand. And, and I was there early in the morning. There weren't, wasn't anybody there, but you could tell they had a really, uh, busy weekend. I'm thinking, oh yeah, there's gotta be gold necklaces and, and earrings and rings and stuff out here. You know, this is going to be good. Uh, and I didn't find anything but a couple of memorial pennies. And I thought, you know, hey, I mean, if I can find coins, I can find ring. I mean, I find I found a fair amount of pieces of jewelry while I was coin hunting. So why, why can't I do any good on the beach? So I called a guy who was one of our Garrett dealers up in New Jersey, and he worked at Boardwalk, and he found an average of 2,000 gold and silver rings a year. Uh so I told him the situation. He said, you don't understand the waves. I said, what do you mean? He says, the waves don't come straight in. He says, they come in at an angle. He says, you needed to be down the beach in the direction that the waves are coming in. He says, because that's where, as the tide goes up and down, that's where the stuff ends up. And I thought, are you kidding me? Are you just gone down where? Pardon? You're kind of going in and out a little bit. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm getting a little far away from my Wi-Fi router here. Um, I was that close. I mean, I was within, you know, 100 feet or so 
of doing well, but my ignorance caused me not to realize that I should have been concentrating down there on the section nobody, nobody's using, because that's where the coins end up because of the wave action. And they concentrate in, in troughs. That was an amazing thing to discover. Um, we got on the beach right after one of the hurricanes. We, I was there four days after the hurricane stopped. And uh, I was hoping to get, you know, my first Spanish coin on the beach. And I did get one Spanish coin, one two real cob coin, uh, right at the edge of a cut where the waves had cut the side of a sand dune out. I got that. But. We're working the beach, my, my buddy and I, we're both really, you know, what we consider to be competent hunters at that point with thousands of hours of detecting time under our belt, not getting anything up high, not getting getting anything down low towards the water. And suddenly, uh, start hitting silver coins, and there was a strip about 120 feet long and it was four feet wide, and it was full of old coins dating back to the early 1900s. We got silver halves, silver quarters, stuff out of there. Couldn't believe it. Uh, you know, all the pennies were wheats, old wheats. Uh, and if you went, you know, anywhere outside of that four-foot-wide, 120-foot-long strip, you got no signals. You got nothing. All of these coins had been concentrated there and uh, a local hunter there told me that back in the early 1900s that had been a, a swimming beach for black people you know before where we didn't legally didn't have segregation but actually we did and so these were all coins that had been lost back in the 1900s and this hurricane that had come through had concentrated all of them uh, in this one strip, four feet wide and about 120 feet long. So now I know that trick. Now when I go on the beach after a hurricane, you know, if I'm near uh, swimming beaches and stuff, I know what to expect, you know, and where I'm likely to make the best finds. But you see, being ignorant of that, you could have been on that beach all day and never found a single thing. Right. So it's not, uh, you know, so often, you know, I keep coming back to this 80-20 rule, uh, Mike. You know, there's so much of it is the operator uh, and not the machine. Uh, you know, I'm all for everybody learning their machines thoroughly. And like I said, not jumping from machine to machine every three or four months or six months, because you're not going to have time to ever know what any one of those machines actually could do for you if you do that. Uh, you know, I change detectors about once every three to four years on the average, as far as what I'm hunting with. So I, you know, I learn what my detectors will do. And uh, then I try to put those detectors on the best spots and see the detector. Excuse me. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. Just one, one more comment. The detector can't decide where the best place to hunt is, I have to decide that. Mm -hmm. So no matter how good my detector is, no matter how well I know it, I have to make good choices on where I choose to swing that detector. Agree. Now, I want to say something here. The flip side of what you're saying 
is there's so many people that have one detector and they try to do everything with it. And I have yet to find the perfect detector. And let's let's just say let's say relic hunting in in Ohio because I know it very well. Uh, you know, metal detecting out in the fields where a house was that's been torn down a hundred plus years. Okay, there's no one perfect detector for that. Even when the ground's the same, I mean, some of them have more iron, some of them have some modern trash in them, some of them have moderate modern trash, some of them were tore down a little bit later enough where there's plumbing plumbing or whatever and and i think the big problem is i am a big fan of picking the right tool for the right job you know you don't you don't go remodel a house with a with a sledgehammer you know you need you need tools you need different hammers you need uh um pliers and and adjustable wrenches and probably a socket set even for a darn house you need uh levels you need uh you know there's so many different tools right well the same thing goes there's no perfect detector for that'll that does it all and does it good um in every situation the problem is so many people don't take the time to learn even the basic settings it blows my mind when I'm talking to somebody who's been metal detecting 10 years, let's say, and they don't understand the basic functions of a metal detector, it really is surprising to me. It, it, it really is. Uh, you know, when you're new to the hobby, I understand that. But what I have always done, I hate reading manuals. I'll be the first one to admit it. But when it comes to metal detectors, I enjoy it. And I will read through the manual. I'll go. To, I'll play around. I'll, I'll swing. You know, put some coils under the or some uh, coins under the the detector just to listen to it, just to see what it sounds like. Different things. I'll go hunt a site with a lot of signals, and you know, then I'll come home and I'll start reading up on the book again. And I'll go back out, and I'll, you know, I keep doing that until I've mastered it. But what gives me a great start is I know how basic fun the basic functions of a detector and how to adjust them and what what happens when I adjust them now sometimes each detector is a little different, but overall it's all the same. you know we've talked about a little bit before on the show i I've got the rudest, and it has some different things that you won't see on all common detectors, but I could read up on them and instantly, uh, instantly understand them. Um, does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So I think you, you increase your odds by understanding your detector, but knowing what tools right for the, what, what tools right for the job. Um, I'm a, very big fan of that now there are some great you know there are some great detectors that do it uh oh that's too funny we got tony kaywood in chat tonight and he he uses a rudis i didn't even know you's in here tony glad to see you but 
you know, no having the right tool for the right job. I mean, my favorite detectors, let's say my top two, there's other situations I'll run across where I, I don't want them for that. Um, you know what I mean? Um, I, I, I really think you, every detector is to, you know, if you've been in it two, three years, five years, you know, you want to stay in it is to understand detectors. And then if you want to better yourself, start, start getting different detectors to use for different jobs. You know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I would have said, get one detector and learn it. Uh, you know that that would be what I what I would tell you. Learn one detector really good. The problem is there's no one detector that does it all. Does that make sense? Yes. However, there are some detectors that do a better job of handling. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply different kinds of hunting than others. Yes. Um, you know, the folks at Garrett was always on an all-around, all-purpose detector. In other words, something that you had a good chance of finding what you were looking for, whether you were hunting gold nuggets, coins, Civil War relics, or whatever. Uh, you know, and so, but there are, like, if I was going to do nothing but hunt gold nuggets, I would research and buy based on my research, the best gold hunting nugget detector that I could find. Um, and then I would go about mastering the use of it if that's all I was going to do. I would specialize if that's all I wanted to do. But, you know, in my case, uh, I'm not only involved in relic hunting. Yes, I love Civil War relic hunting, and yes, I've done a lot of it and hope to do a considerable amount more before I go to my great reward. But that being said, last year I found myself on top of an 11,000 foot mountain in Northern Nevada in the Osceola mining district, looking for a lost vein of gold for a prospector who owns some claims where it's supposed to be. And I was using my Garrett AT pro 
and it worked fine in those conditions. It handled this extreme mineralization and stuff. You know, we did not find the vein, but what we did for the prospector, the two of us that were working this, was that we narrowed down the areas on his claims where it had to be. In other words, we found some places where it was not, so he won't waste his time looking there anymore. Uh, you know, so we helped him at least in that regard. But uh, it's quite a story behind this lost vein, but that's uh, we'll save that for another day. The point was, though, you know, that was uh, basically a new experience for me. Uh, I've hunted gold nuggets with my metal detector, but I've not hunted a lost vein specifically. And uh, what we did was we, had, we, uh, we arranged to meet with a geologist about the same age as myself. We, I call him Geologist John. And he gave us uh, a one-day class in the geology of vein, of gold vein location. And the information that he gave us was awesome. I learned more about geology, the, the geology of gold, in one day than I've learned in the past 50 years. And I would love to go up to Nevada and spend more time with him because he was that good. Uh, you know, and, and the thing is, like I said, I had to learn things that I never needed for coin hunting or relic hunting or beach hunting and so, and so on. Now, I think that's great to use your AT Pro to go out there and do that. But if you were going to go out several times a year or spend a lot of time there, the AT Pro wouldn't be your, your first pick. That's um, that's exactly right. Uh, you know, there's there's uh, one particular detector that I hate, but guys love it in the mineralized soil. soil. Um, you know, there's, you just gotta, you, you gotta find what works for what you want to do. And oftentimes, unless you're hunting the exact same places and the exact same soil and you don't want to do any other one detector can do it. Um, you know, but I'm just a big fan. Everybody says, learn your, learn your one detector and, and do that. Well, I just don't agree with that. I'm sorry, I don't. It's not. Uh, I, I think you need to learn your detectors. Don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah, yeah. It just it, it's. A, I was talking to somebody recently. Uh, this kind of brings this up. It really surprises me. Uh, he's been detecting ten years, probably, and um he was asking me or he was telling me about an issue he was having and I knew right away what he needed to do, but he gets in one setting. He doesn't change it. He's been using the same detector now for seven, eight years. And in that seven, eight years, he doesn't know this very simple adjustment he could make that would, that would work at all the sites he's having issues at, you know, so that's what I'm getting at. It, it really, it just blows me away. I'm sure George can tell stories. George loves detectors and the technology, and I'm sure people reach out to him about them. And it just, it probably blows his mind. How, how, how clueless some people are that, that, 
you know, don't understand some of the most basic functions of their of their detector. Well, that that's always been the case to some degree. And and you know, a part of that problem as as really well actually the scope of the problem today in this in this particular era of metal detecting is so huge because we lost our base back at the end of the 70s. We lost the base of dealers in the United States who were avid users. Now, that don't get me wrong. There's still some around, but most of the dealers could no longer uh, afford to be dealers because the discount uh, metal detector dealerships, the big ones, put them out of business, to be frank. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were advertising detectors cheaper than these poor dealers could buy them from the factory because they were buying in smaller quantities. And the, the big guys were getting huge discounts because they were buying a thousand detectors at a time. And uh, it really destroyed our base of dealers who, who were, you know, they were instructors. They not only sold you a detector, they sold you the hobby. They took you to the parks. They showed you, uh, you know, walked you through hands-on uh, use and got you off to a good start. And when that's done, we saw statistically that nine out of 10 almost people who bought a metal detector that way would keep on metal detecting. And uh, those who bought by discount, about nine out of 10 would use them two or three, four hours or go out two or three times and then would go in the closet and either get sold off later on eBay or whatever. Uh, I bought two almost, well, I bought two Fisher detectors top of the line that were one had two hours and one had three hours on it. And I bought them for less than half price new off of eBay. Mm. You see, because the, 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 and both of the people that sold them to him, he said they had bought them from a discount house. So they never had anybody give them any personal instruction. Hmm. So, you know, it was my gain, but the point is, uh, they have a totally wrong impression of what metal detecting is all about. They just didn't understand. And here we go. You ready, Mike? They didn't understand they needed to pay their dues. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of people in this day and age with YouTube and everything, they see these people go out and make all these great finds and I'm going to go out and buy a metal detector and do that. And they, they, it's a whole, you know, talk about shattering dreams. You know, that guy that's been doing it 20 years and finds good stuff on a regular basis, he's paid his dues. And it, it takes time. You got to learn your detector. You got to know what to look for, where to, you know, there's so much to this hobby, but it, it, it can be done easily if you put the the work and the time in. Um, right. You know, the, the big thing is, is, is what I, I don't like to see is a beginner throw money, if, if I can put it this way, throw money at uh, metal, metal detecting in terms of trying to pay huge prices. You, you, let me give you an example. There was a guy that came out, and I won't mention his name, 
don't I don't know if he's still in business or not, but he made what was supposed to be an electronic dowsing instrument. Okay. And here, yeah. you know, here was this block of plastic with wires going into it, uh, so that you couldn't see the circuit board or get out the circuit board to reverse engineer it, supposedly. And uh, this thing was supposedly and had antenna sticking out of it. And he was selling these things for $10,000. And people listened to me. I talked to at least a half a dozen of the, his customers who bought that device for $10,000. Not a one of them ever found any gold or silver or any valuables with it. One of the guys even took a saw and cut that block of plastic with the wires going into it in half and discovered there was absolutely no electronic parts in that block of plastic. The wires just went into it. And <laughs> it. Oh, that's hey, good stuff. Yeah, but people thought, well, for $10,000, it's got to be, you know, the ultimate gold finding machine. And it was just basically a really big scam. And he guy ended up in all kinds of lawsuits and one thing and another, though. But uh, anyway, the, the, um, the thing is, it's not how much necessarily your metal detector cost. It's much more about how well you can use that detector and how good a researcher you are and how wisely you choose where you're going to hunt with it. That's all part, all part of paying your dues. And you pay your dues, and you're going to do good. Sooner or later, you're going to start doing good. Uh, but everybody wants it quick and easy, and everybody tries to bypass this process. Uh, not everybody, but so many try to bypass the process of paying their dues. And they think they can do it by spending $2,000 on a metal detector. You know, and I've given the example, uh, a fellow I hunt with who's not on Facebook or, or listens to podcasts. So, you know, he'll never hear me say this. But, uh, you know, I really hunt with him and he has a $2,000 setup on his metal detector. I have uh, uh, um a Garrett AT Pro that retails about six hundred dollars. I didn't pay that much for it uh, because I traded some uh, some uh, information and knowledge to a dealer for it. Uh, you, you, you folks, you got to understand. For someone who was in the industry and could always get his metal detectors at just absolute cost, it's really hard for me to go out and pay retail for a metal detector. Right. So, so anyway, I, I try to cut deals on my detectors. But anyway, I have this $600 detector, and uh, I, we go out, and I, I routinely find four to five times more Civil War relics than he does. And it's not because my machine is superior. My use of my machine is superior to the, his use of his machine mm-hmm. and other factors. I take give you an example on, on civil war bullets, mini balls on the sites we worked, I take an average of a one to three minutes to recover a mini ball and have it in my pouch. He spends five to 15 minutes per mini ball, which means I dig more signals in a day than he does. And therefore I'm going to find more 
more than he does. So he negates whatever advantage he might have with his 2000 metal detector by being sloppy in his recovery work and his pinpointing and recovery. Yeah, absolutely. So you see that everything, everything just like, like recovering your targets, that can be a big factor in how well you do. Let's say you know your metal detector really well, but you know, you dig a hole, uh, you're out in the woods, so you can dig a big hole. So you, you dig this big hole that's about 12 inches wide and 12 inches deep to recover your target. And you've got your hand pinpointer, and you're running it around. You say, okay, it's not in a hole. And then you take your hand pinpointer, and you run it around the dirt, and you can hear it in the dirt. And I've seen guys do this. They Instead of actually putting that tip of that pinpointer around the signal and holding it there, and then grabbing a handful of dirt right there and running in front of their coil to see if they got the target, they start taking their fingers and, and trying to work their way through the dirt to try to spot it with their eyeball. What's the point of a hand pinpointer if you're going to do that? Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Dorian, I... Me? Mom, no, seriously, seriously. What's that? I didn't say anything. Oh, okay. Something weird was going on. Here, Here's my thing oh. about pinpointers. I went a lot of years without pinpointer, okay? They help tremendously recover your, your target faster and move on to the next target. Not always. I don't always use it. It, it, it isn't the very first thing I pull out. But if I'm going to have any trouble finding that target, I grab my pinpointer, I... You, I think you watch these videos and you've probably hung with a couple guys that they pull out their pinpointer and they run it all through the dirt way longer than they need to. I need to know which handful to pick up, put in my hand, and recover the target. Um, you know, I'm telling you, Dorian, from a guy who, who hunted a lot of years well, I actually without said, pinpointing. Yeah. Bye, bye. You there? Bye. I'm not at odds with you on this. I'm saying if you're going to use a hand pinpointer, use it of pay your dues is your equipment, whether it's your shovel, your pinpointer, right? You know, anything to do with your rig, your setup. You know, recently hunted with a guy and he had so much gear on him that he was bogged down and wore out before the end of the day just by carrying all this gear around. He had three times more gear than he needed to to hunt where he was. Right. I love hunting with those guys. You see what I mean? Oh, they cracked me up. Yeah. I, uh, um, you know, we're, we're talking about all these different factors that are all involved in paying your dues. You know, you got to be a good detector operator. You got to be a good recoverer. You got to be a good researcher. All of these things, when you get all of these little elements that come together, then you end up being an awesome hunter. I should say finder. Yeah. I Oh, I agree. Yeah. I, you know, that's funny you mentioned that because I've hunted with some guys that, uh, you know, I even a backpack and a pouch and all this stuff. And I, when I'm, when I'm field hunting in the woods at least, or I'm sorry, the fields, well, fields and woods, 
here's here's what I've got. I've got a, a hand digger in my back pocket. My phone, of course, you know, I've got the extra pockets is up in my upper pocket. Um, I've got uh, a bottle of water in, in one of my back pockets. My, my other digger on the other side. All my bibs have the hammer hook. That's where my pinpointer goes. And I've got my metal detector and full-size shovel in those kind of places. If I've got a full-size shovel. Gotcha. But, you know, I've seen, I've hunted with guys who have a big pouch around and then they've got uh, a backpack on. And they're less than 50 yards, 100 yards from the car. There you go. There if, you go. If I'm gonna yeah. go, if I'm gonna go out, you know, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna, you know, go out through a field that's muddy, and I'm gonna be, you know, a quarter of a mile away or something, you know, that's like walking five miles. You know, I might, I might take a bag with some batteries and and different things, and make sure, you know, a couple bottles of water to take a break. Um, if I'm gonna be way out there, away from my vehicle. Uh, but you know, when you're, when you're within 50 yards, a hundred yards of your vehicle, you don't need all that. Good point, Mike. And you know, we're talking about efficiency. See, that's another, that, that's another thing. Uh, because like I said, at the end of the day, if you wear yourself out, say goodbye to your credit card rewards, greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards. As we know it, if you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Uh carrying too much gear and you have to quit an hour earlier than you would have, you may have robbed yourself some good fines because generally speaking, over the course of time, your best fines are going to come towards the end of your hunt rather than at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So even losing an hour, uh, because you were inefficient in the way you approached, you know, your field work is going to cost you, over and if you keep doing it over several years, uh, that could add up to say, for example, you losing two or three hundred silver coins that you would have had otherwise. People don't think about the long term effects, you know, of, of, of sloppy or inefficient, you know, de- detecting work. 
you know, so, I mean, you got to know, like you said, you know, you, if you specialize, if you say, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a nugget hunter and that's all I'm ever going to be. Well, then you need to get a nugget hunting metal detector, not an all around metal detector. Right. Right. But if you're going to hunt nuggets, well, like for example, I hunted gold nuggets in New Mexico last fall. I'm not going to go buy uh, a nugget detector just so I could go out there for two weeks and hunt nuggets. If I was going to move out there, I'd buy a nugget detector because that's what I'd be doing. But I used my Garrett AT Pro, and uh, it worked, you know, quite well for the for the conditions. Uh, I did find a little gold. Um, not enough to retire on, but then again, I'm already retired, so I don't have to worry about that, do I? Right. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, enjoyed the experience. Uh, I had a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, it's the same thing. Like I said, I, I'm really interested in some of these new detectors. And, and uh, I've got my eye on one. You know, it, it, it looks like it's going to be uh, – economical enough that I might want to work, work one of these into the budget. But I, you know, quite frankly, I've only had this AT pro about a year and the weather has been so awful, so much rain. And then all this incredible heat, uh, I've only been able to get out about one fourth of the hours that I usually spend metal detecting due to the weather, you know, so I don't feel like I've maxed out on the capabilities of this machine yet. I want to know, you know, exactly the limits of what it will do. And, uh, you know, I got into a, I got into a, 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 a famous house site on a big battlefield that had been a field hospital. And at some point after the war, it burned down. And, you know, bur- a burned down house site, that burning mineralizes the soil where the house burns. So that adds a problem in detecting it. And this one had the most iron junk of any house site I'd ever encountered. And I was using the AT pro and I was hunting all day long. And I hadn't dug one non-ferrous target. I was hunting in what's called zero mode, or you might say all metal mode. And I, I could not pick up a non-ferrous target. So finally I got into the last hour before I was going to quit. And I switched it to coin mode, not something I would usually do on a Civil War site because I want the iron relics too, but there was just too much iron. I'm talking about it was inches. The signals were inches apart over the whole site. And when I switched to coin mode, lo and behold, non-ferrous targets started jumping out of the ground. I dug 13 non-ferrous targets in a row. The first 12 were junk. The 13th was a U.S. Eagle breastplate. That was my last last find of the day. So I learned something about my detector. You know, I, I experimented, and the experiment paid off. And uh, I know now how to go through a site like that. If I can't, if I don't have the time to dig every piece of iron on the site because there's several thousand pieces then I'm going to hunt it in coin mode and see if I can pick out some of the non-fair signals. Mm-hmm. We're getting feedback here and there. You're, you, 
sound kind of rough tonight. I think that storm, we were doing pretty good till that storm. You were talking about not getting out. I don't even remember the last time I've gotten out. We've been close to 100, I would say, for almost two months, and it's just, it has just been miserable. It's it's a hundred degrees, I believe, right now. Oh yeah, but Mike, having spent twenty years in Texas, I can tell you, buddy, when that temperature drops off, you can hunt all winter without freezing yeah. your your yeah. ears off. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 So that's a plus. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the. The weather died down here a little bit. It's been yep. kind of miserable not being able to get out and detect. Well, you know, like, I, I mean, literally by 9 o'clock, it's, it's, too, it's just too hot. It's getting too hot to do anything. I don't know how people do it that work out in this stuff. Um, you get, I guess when you're younger, you, you adapt to it because... I landscaped. I started my landscape business in Dallas, and uh, you know I worked outside installing landscaping, which is hard physical labor, mm-hmm. uh, for you know fifteen years down there. Um, and I remember working many a day. It was one hundred and five degrees, and a lot of times we didn't have any shade to work in. Uh, but you know, I never, never was overcome with heat or had anybody on my crew overcome with heat. Um, you know, we all, I guess were young and tougher then, but I'll tell you what, I couldn't do that. Now, if I went out there and tried that, I'd, I'd, I'd be dead of heat stroke in about two or three hours. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's rough, man. I, I, it's not my thing, but, uh, so it's been rough. I'm looking for, looking forward, looking towards, looking forward to fall for sure. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, also, too, for uh, the old guys out there, you really can teach an old dog new tricks. And, uh, you know, one one of the things that we've learned from some of the the old guys on our on our group, and I, I found out that I have been making and this is embarrassing to admit, folks, but I'm going to admit it. I've been making a serious mistake in my hunting of these sites in that while I've been turning my sensitivity down on the heavily trashed sites, I have not been going over them with the sensitivity turned way down. And it turns out from what we're learning from the guys that do that, that that can be a real key to some good finds on those sites. So this old dog has learned a new trick, and I am championing it to bit to get out to some of my house sites as soon as the beans get harvested this fall, the soybeans get out to my field sites and get back on those heavily traced sites and turn that sensitivity down and see what yes. comes out. Yes. That's very good. Um, that's very, uh, very solid, good advice, especially in iron, uh, especially in fields. Uh, um, you know, where you got all that heavy iron, you know, when you're in those fields, usually your stuff is pretty shallow anyhow. Your your problem isn't getting to the depth and that your the problem is getting through to getting through the iron. Um Yeah. So th- that's something I've known for a long time and passed along. Um 
Matter of fact, there's there's going to be an article about that in the next coming uh, Dirt Digest uh, magazine issue, um, which is funny because I was already working on that when I seen that post, but that was brilliant and needed to be said. He went into a lot of detail, and that was very interesting. But I I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you something else. I know I'm people get so tired of me saying it. I'm sure. Give me an analog detector and heavy iron. Uh, I'll take it all day long over over the most expensive digital detectors. It just, it handles the, they handle the iron better. And I've used cheap analog detectors, uh, beginner analog detectors, all the way to high-end analog detectors. And <clears throat> give me... You know, Tesoro's now out of business. Give me, give me a compadre for those fields of Ohio. I'll take that over the most expensive uh, digital detectors. And I've, you know, I've hunted. I haven't used every detector, and and especially not every current detector. But I've hunted with a lot of them, uh, or next to guys with them, or I've used them just about all of them, and and none of them impress me in that heavy iron you're going to find in those field sites. Um, and, and I think that's something, if you're going to get into the fields a lot this fall, I, I think you ought to reach out to, um, you ought to reach out to uh, um, Keith and see what he's got in a, in a cheap uh, analog detector. Mike, let me ask you uh, some personal advice here, and maybe all all can get benefit from it. Uh, I have a Fisher twelve sixty X, and I have a CJ five. Uh, did you say? Did you say a CJ five? Isn't it, is that what it is? Uh, it's yeah, I think it's a CJ six. Fisher came out with uh, their first detectors that had the analog meters that. You know, the needle told you what kind of a target you'd found. I think you're talking CZ6. Uh, you're right. Old man's memory. I apologize. Uh, CZ6. I have a CZ6 and I have a, a 1265, 1266X. I'll get it right. Uh, you know, are you familiar with either of those detectors? Um, yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Would, yeah. you, say, would you say they qualify... Uh, in terms of what you're talking about in the way of analogs for the uh, iron sights? Boy, it's been a lot of years since I've, I had a 12, I believe I had a 1266X. And I want to say that's a, that's a pretty good um, detector. CZ6, CZ5. uh, I knew somebody with a CZ5 done real good coin hunting. I don't think that's a real good, um, relic detector i'll tell you what we i bet we we let me pop yeah we got hey george get serious for a second (laughs) (laughs) uh he's in chat uh george would you recommend either one of those for relic hunting a fisher 1266x or cz6 would either one of them do good and and i'm gonna guess the 1266x if i remember right that's known as a relic detector um it is. I found I found thousands of artifacts or Civil War artifacts with the twelve sixty six. I was told that the CZ six would go deeper 
So I acquired one from somebody who wanted to get rid of it at the right price. Um, but it, it's not lived up to the depth on coins and things that, you know, that it was hyped at. Uh, I, I've hunted with somebody with a CZ5 that could get really good depth on coins. And by reading that, looking at that meter could could tell you what he was going to dig. That, those CZs are pretty good machines. Um for sure, but I I I know the CZs more as a, a coin detector than a relic hunter. But I want to say the six the twelve sixty six is a known relic machine, and I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I've had one of those, but it's been so long ago. And if I remember right, I didn't know about Keith then. And as I recall. I used it to relic kind of a few times and then it started going haywire and I had other coils for it, but it, it wasn't with the coils. So I ended up, uh, I took it in on trade with a couple different detectors and ended up just tossing it, which I wish I'd known about Keith back then, but I, I, I did not. And, uh, so I, from what I remember, it was it was pretty darn good, but it's been so long. We'll wait. We'll wait for. Uh... Has George got a comment on that? Uh, no, he's talking about cars and everything else right now. Oh, uh, hopefully he'll. Hopefully he's still listening. Come on, come on, George. We need answers. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that's twelve sixty six will do you pretty good. I, uh, I think that's probably, you know, correct. I, um, it was been a very good detector for me. Um, and it's very comfortable to use too. I like, I like that about it. Um, you know, but I, uh, I don't know. Of course, we, I, I invested a lot of, uh, of my life as it were in, in Garrett's and used Garrett detectors and, uh, Found thousands of artifacts and coins with Garrett detectors, tens of thousands of coins. Uh, but I switched to the Fisher because at the time, uh, the Fisher was just outdoing the Garrett's uh, so bad. But with the uh, Garrett AT Pro, uh, the pendulum's kind of swung back the other way. And, uh, you know, I don't go out feeling like I don't have enough detector because it is producing for me. You know, on the relic sites that have been worked hundreds of times by other people. Well, the master, the detector master has spoken, and he said the CZ6, great on saltwater beaches. Okay. Uh, he said the 1266, it's great on deep uh, deep plow points when you think it's a plate. So <laughs> it, it must like iron a lot um, <laughs> is what I'm gathering from that. Uh Okay, yeah, he's saying neither. Neither are real good for that. Uh, I know the 1266 is, has a, a reputation, but I trust George over, you know, other people. I, you, you know, you can get a, you know, you, at least you have some trade value. If you wanted to get rid of them, you could get you a good analog field detector or another detector of some sort. I'm sure that somebody would trade, you know, probably, uh, oh, probably that's, yeah, that's, that's not a problem. You know, I, I can work a deal with Keith on a Tesoro or something. I just, uh, 
I was just wondering if what I had, you know, would work without me having to do go any further. But but if there's something, if I need to do a little little change there, sure. Yeah, I, I just the Tesoros I I know and they're simple and easy. Um, you know, I, I've I've seen I, I've seen a I wouldn't quite recommend it. I'd get some. I I really like my outlaw. Um, my outlaw I knew was about four, like four fifty, with three coils and three shafts. You could get it for right around five five twenty five. Uh, that's that's a nice setup for me. It's got all the coils I need, the shafts. You know, it's already mounted on the shaft. Um, but you know, I've got the, I've got the Mojave right now. Um, Scott's got. Scott's in there says he's got two Tesoros for trade or buy. What do you got, Scott? I forget. You've got the, I know he's got the, um, silver U-Max, which I, I don't know how that would perform on in fields. Um, but you know, Keith, Keith would know. Yes, he would. Absolutely. The Vaquero. Now the Vaquero. I got to make sure I get them confused. Uh, I think the Vaquero, Scott, correct me if I'm wrong. Doesn't the Vaquero have the real fine uh, ground balance adjustment? Uh, I would stay away from that for field hunting particular, particularly if that's the one I'm thinking of. I get them so confused sometimes. Yeah, it's a great detector, but it's got a real fine adjustment, and without modding it, it can be a pain in the ass, but and the pain in the butt. Excuse me. Um, it's a good one. Don't say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Don't get me wrong, but I people either love it or they hate it, uh, and and a lot of people that feel aren't a big fan. I think they're better suited for mineralized uh, soil. Um, I I think that's yeah, it's it's a good one. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but uh, I think that one 
you know, well, yeah, we'll talk to Keith and we'll figure something out. I've, I've got, you know, I don't know if you can pick up a Mojave. That's a great little, that's just a simple, easy turn on and go, but gets the job done as long as you're not in mineralized soil. And I don't think there in Kentucky, you got any mineralized soil, do you? Oh yeah. Not, yeah, real, you, not real bad though. Not like Virginia or anything, right? Well, actually you've got Eastern Kentucky and the coal fields and all that area. And wherever you've got coal, you've got mineralized soil. Um, so there are pockets. There's an awful lot of good soil here. The soil where I, you know, I live right now is really good. The minerals are about, um, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the worst, the minerals here would be about three, three and a half. Okay. Yeah, I would stick with a simple, you know, I would just stick with something simple, simple then. Um, you could pick something up for next to nothing, keep, keep your eyes out. And, you know, you got trade value um, that I'm sure Keith would be interested in. Those are both very well-known detectors. So. Yeah. So, uh, okay. Listen, I'm a little bit curious, Mike. What are you hearing about the, uh, uh, if you don't mind, I don't want to jump too far off our subject here, but. Uh, uh, you know, I'm hearing uh, the the rumbles, as it were. It's like putting your ear to the rails and hearing the train coming. Mm-hmm. You you want to be sure to move your head before it gets there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so this uh, this Noctomacro simplex, you know, is it really going to be a high performer for such a, the low price that I hear they're going to put on it? I you know I don't like to. You know, there's there's people right now saying, you know, it's going to be a great detector, this and that. Everything is pointing to it being a great detector. It's it's a good, for a single frequency, it's got a great, it's 12 kilohertz. That's a great, that's a great place to be. It has iron audio, which is an awesome feature. So what, what you do, you know, let's say you're hunting in a field with, with a lot of iron, when you're using a digital detector, especially you really start, um, when you start running discrimination, you really start to slow the, the processor down, um, where you have, when you have iron volume, you can run it wide open, no discrimination and turn down your iron volume. So it's a whisper and it just makes listening to everything so much better. It's uh waterproof up to like, 10 foot it's uh uh wireless capable uh at 330 i think 335 somewhere right in there you get the wireless headphones i've i've got their wireless headphones they're awesome um the big double d coil you know one thing that i feel is holding it back right this minute is they're not offering other coils for it at this time. I want to know if they're going to offer other coils. Uh, it also has ground balance. Manual, you know, you can manually ground balance it, which is huge at that price range. Usually it's a, you know, it's 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 a set ground balance. And uh, at that price, that is a, an absolutely awesome feature. So uh, I, everything is pointing to, just an incredible detector and i believe they will come out with some coils for it you know even if most of their detectors uh 
they offer several different coils. Even if they just come out with two or three coils would be huge. You know, a good, uh, maybe like a good six by nine elliptical and a, a seven inch concentric, I'd be a happy camper. Um, but yeah, I think it's gonna, it's gonna change everything. I do. If it works and it looks incredible, if it works half as good as it looks, it's going to be a huge, huge hit. You know, Mike, uh, I'll let you in on a couple little, uh, they're not super classified pieces of information, but very few people, even probably George Kinsey wouldn't know this. Um, but when we were experimenting at Garrett back in the uh, late Mm seventies, When we started building the first VLF detectors, we actually came out with a limited production of a model. It had an open center uh, stacked coil, had three coils stacked in it. And that thing would pick up a copper BB at 18 inches. Wow. It, it It was so incredibly sensitive. We were never able to master... You know, you increase sensitivity or gain, as electronics people call it, and you increase instability. And uh, it would respond to its environment, to wet grass, to other things. You know, the the Faraday shielding that keeps wet grass from reading on most detectors, it didn't work on this thing. This thing was so too sensitive, we could not harness it. It was like, you know, it was like trying to harness nuclear power before you've ever built a nuclear power plant. Um, you know, we just couldn't come up with a way to market this thing to where we wouldn't be getting constant complaints about people. Uh, oh yeah, we had one of our field testers complain because, uh, he dug a hairpin uh, he dug a hairpin at like something like 16 inches. Wow. You know, but now listen to this. Most people don't know this, but Garrett actually built a prototype of a pulse detector. Hmm. Back back about seventy eight, and oh, that thing incredible. that thing would pick up a BB air test at four feet. But again, it was so responsive to whatever else was around the signal you were trying to uh, find, we couldn't figure out how to make it into a unit that the average person could use. And that's what, you know, what Garrett was trying to do. He was trying to build metal detectors uh, that everybody could use, not just a few specialists. But I don't think that's ever been let out that the Garrett actually had a working uh, pulse detector in 78. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, Fisher supposedly has a pulse, uh, pulse, uh, detector coming out that has from my understanding discrimination so that's supposed to work pretty good so we'll see what that's a that's about but you know we've had some talks talks about fisher on here and not to pick on them some other companies that we feel like haven't kept up with the times and you know, that's awesome if they made a, a pulse induction, but, you know, at the low price range I've heard, I don't see them getting a lot of sales. Um, you know, time will tell and we'll see, but I'm not seeing a big 
a big, you know, a, a bunch of excitement going around, um, you know, but maybe they have something if it has pretty decent discrimination, but I've also been told you, you know, you can't get a pulse induction, give out good, you, you know, that, that, that performs well with discrimination. It, it really can't be done. So I don't know, but I'd, I'd be curious what that's about and, 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 uh, and, and see, but, uh, I don't know. The Garrett engineers back in the late 70s were, were desperately trying to figure out a way to put discrimination on the pulse unit, you know, our prototype. Uh, but, of course, that was long before microprocessors were available. You know, there's a lot of things that can be done in electronics now that couldn't be done then. Uh, you know, but that's, that, that's been the big bugaboo on pulse machines. And there's been rumors over the years that, yes, so-and-so is coming out with you know, with discrimination. And it's really, it is one of the most difficult problems facing metal detector engineers, and it has been forever. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm, my chat shut down, and I'm trying to get caught up here, make sure I didn't miss miss anything. Uh I'm not sure what George is talking about coil. I'm I'm guessing he's talking about the coil on that new Fisher. Uh, Katie says they need uh, purple detectors. Uh, I agree. Maybe some pink. Steph likes pink. Uh, Steph's told me she I need to make her a pink shaft um, for her metal detector. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, I agree. I, I think they should. A lot of women are getting into this hobby, and and I think it's just growing. and And I'd love to see some custom stuff for women. I'd love it, but uh, huh. I thought somebody I thought somebody came out with a a pink camouflage unit. Uh, I don't not none none of the major manufacturers that I'm aware of have. Oh, okay. Somebody I'm sure. I'm sure you can buy some Chinese-made detector that's pink or purple. Yeah, maybe Cabela's has it. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, uh, I had the uh, had the honor of bringing out the first metal detector in the whole United States that had camouflage colors back in 1980. Uh, it was a detect. Relic King. Huh. And it was the first one painted in camouflage colors. Everybody was all been out of shape over, oh, if we if we make a detector with camouflage colors, it's going to make us look like that, you know, we want to break the law that we're, that we're using camouflage because we oh, have some, yeah. something to hide. Of course, now that argument's completely gone by the wayside. But uh, anyway, it was... It's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, basically the reason for camouflage for a hunter, the legitimate reason is, is really brought out by this true story. Uh, a friend of mine in Virginia found a really great unworked uh, Virginia uh, Confederate camp. And he got in there with his big deep seeker with his 14-inch coil, which is white. 
and he's about 30 feet off the road in, in a band of woods. And he dug six Virginia State Seal belt plates, each one of them worth thousands. Wow. So he's all excited. You know, this was his first day. So I, I guess he had to do something for a day or two. But what he didn't know was a, a, a guy driving by happened to see that white coil swinging back and forth in the woods. The white color caught his eyes. And he was an outlaw rally hunter. Uh, and he went back and told his club. Oh, no. And so the guy comes out a day or two later, and there was over 20 people on the site without permission. And they had already pulled out nearly two dozen more Virginia State Seal belt buckles. Oh, I probably would have been went on a shooting. Nah, I shouldn't say that. No. Uh, I'd have been yeah. mad. I would have been but very I'll mad. I'll tell you this. For the rest of his metal detecting life, that fella wore full camouflage and hand-painted all of his detectors. <laughs> you know, camouflage colors. Don't blame him. Wasn't, you know, I mean, he was legitimate. He always got permission and everything, but he was doing it to protect himself from being spotted by the outlaw hunters when he was near a road or something. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. There's definitely people out there like that. It's a shame. Absolutely. I've, I, I lost a really big sight. Because my hunting partner uh, decided to move out of town. And before he left, he told the whole treasure hunting club exactly where we were hunting was. And I lost two years of good relic hunting because over, in fact, 22 members of the club started hunting my site. Oh, no. oh that would make me, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, this is part of uh, when we old guys say we've been there, done, done that. We've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we've usually been victimized several times by trusting people, you know, and sharing sites with them. So if we're a little bit suspicious or slow to, to take you to our best sites, uh, you know, you should understand why <laughs> we've been burned. Yeah, absolutely. You know, speaking of that, we've all been there. Bill's Bill told me a good story. I'm not going to repeat it because I – I don't know who the guy was or anything else, but he, he had somebody following him around and going back. And uh, uh, it happens to a lot of us, let me tell you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it does. And, uh, you know, you always have a certain element uh, in any subculture. It doesn't matter, not just metal detecting. It could be in bottle collecting. It could be, you know, just whatever you, you want to name. Yeah. But there's always a... a a small percentage of people don't want to play by the rules. I know, uh, years ago that, that forum I was telling you, um, I was telling you about, there was, uh, a, a guy, I, he was on the East coast somewhere and he'd found, uh, just a real hot spot where I want to say an, uh, an old bridge went across or something. I don't, I don't, I don't recall. But he was finding, you know, turn of the century coins and that kind of stuff. And he took a guy out there. And the next thing you know, that guy, not only was he going out there all the time, he was taking people and it ended up in a big, you know, right on the forum fight kind of thing. And, uh, 
You got to be real careful. I, I For somebody new, you know, here, here's something we can talk about. Some some etiquette yeah. for people new to the hobby. Uh, if you're newer to the hobby, well, let me tell you this. When I talk to somebody, rarely is there anybody I'm going to take to one of my hot spots. Uh, you, you know, if Dorian... Dorian, I would, uh, George Kenzie, if I get him back to Ohio, I'd happily do it. But, you know, if, if you contact me, anybody that contacts me and I don't know them and they say, um, I'd love to hunt with you. Uh, you know, I'd come to your spot or something like that, or that, you know, they'll, they'll say something along them lines. I'm trying to think that it's funny because they almost always say the exact same thing. Uh, Oh, I'd love to come hunt with you at one of your spots or some something along those lines. Um, I can tell you right now, I won't take you hunting. Now, if you say, "Hey, I'd love to hunt with you," you know, maybe we could meet somewhere mutual, or "Hey, I'd love to hunt with you." You know, I'll have you out at my spot. I'll go, but usually, the people who say, "Hey, I'd love to come hunt with you," you know. Uh, you got a spot or, you know, they'll ask if you got a spot to go to or something, you know, I'll stay away from those people. They're usually fishing. They, they hunt other people's spots. Um, they, they don't take people to their spots and, and I'm just not going to do that. Now, the thing is, if you invite me to one of your spots, unless you're an absolute, you know, something isn't right, I'll take you to my spots. You know, I might not take you to my best spots starting out, but you know, we can work up to that. But I absolutely, if somebody says that, you know, hey, you'd love to hunt with you sometime, you know, I'd love an invite or, you know, love to hunt one of your spots with you. That That's a huge red flag to me. So if you're new to the hobby, you know, talk about mutual ground. Hey, maybe we could meet at a park or something. I know this park, you know, don't you don't have to invite and give give the, up your good spots. But when you ask to go hunt on their spot, mm, that, that's a red flag for me. Um yeah, we have that problem in the group. You know, we have guys that, that want in the group. We let them in. The first thing they do. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. There is, 
Anybody got any permissions in North Carolina? Anybody got any permissions here and there? Well, when yeah. it happens, I, I, I can become a prophet. I can predict to you that these people will not contribute anything because they're takers and not givers. When they start off in the group like that, they don't last long, uh, you know, because uh, I, I know they're not going to be participators. They have nothing to give. They're only interested in taking from you. So, you know, when that happens, they go on a red flag list and we watch them. I watch them very carefully. I go to their Facebook page and I, you know, check out what's on their Facebook page. You know, like one guy is asking, asking for, uh, you know, somebody to provide a place where he can take his wife and his child on their first relic hunt. And you go to his Facebook page, and he's got all kinds of pictures of him and his buddies digging Civil War relics. <laughs> you know, so why does he need somebody else to, you know, provide a place where his wife and daughter can go on their first relic hunt? Yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's people like that, and you, you got to be really cautious. Uh, Bill and I were talking about some somebody recently that that's kind of hit us both up like that and i'd brought it up to bill and i you know bill doesn't have a bad word to talk about anybody but uh you know i'd i'd kind of mentioned him and i said you know he kind of he approached me that way and it's you know there's no way i'm gonna hunt with him you know last time i was in ohio i met up with uh tom uh tom dunn and you know tom tom contacted me well you know he he listens to the podcast and and things and him and I had talked on the phone and he said, Hey Mike, I'd love to have you down here to hunt with me uh when you're in Ohio. Well, I didn't want to go down there, but he started that conversation off right. Um, you know, he invited me to one of his spots, so I took a chance and I, I invited him to one of my spots and, and I have nothing but good to say about about him. Um, you know, I had Matt down. I know if I went up to northeast Ohio, the problem is when I come back to Ohio I get as much detecting in as I can, but I, I got to spend time with family and it's hard for me to, I don't want to drive. I don't want to waste a couple of hours driving out of my day. I want to go metal detecting. That's, that's time I can be in the field metal detecting. So I really don't like to do that. And so I invited those guys down, but you know, at the, the, the la that last time I went back, I also had this person who found out I was coming back and messaged me and said, Hey, I'd love to come hunt with you. You know, do you got any spots lined up or something like that? And it's just like, you know, yeah, man, I'll get a hold of you when I come back. I, I, I'm not reaching out to that person. They don't even listen to the podcast. They don't, you know, they just happen to see that, you know, I know he's heavily involved in the Ohio metal detecting, uh, doesn't, doesn't listen to the podcast. We've never talked on the phone. We've never, you know, nothing. And he's inviting himself on my hunt. No deal. No deal. Yeah. Good point. Uh, you know, but you were talking about, you used the word etiquette a while ago, you know, it, the proper etiquette is if you want to hunt with somebody who's so-called treasure hunting personality, whether, you know, it's, uh, the one and only Mike Hare or, you know, the old decrepit geezer Dorian Cook, uh, uh. The, the proper procedure is you invite us to come hunt with you. And then, you know, we come and hunt with you. And then you will find that we will reciprocate and invite you to yeah. come and hunt with us. Yeah. Or meet in mutual, on mutual ground. Uh, 
you know, go meet at a park uh, and and just have some fun and get to know each other. I'm 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 down with that. Um, but you know, like I've there's a guy here. He's really busy. Uh, he just had a kid. He's he's really busy with work and stuff. He's invited me on a few different of his sites, and and you know what I told him is is hey, I'd love to. Well, and I'm busy too. You know. Uh, I can only go when, when Steph's home and stuff with the kids and our schedules haven't lined up, but he invited me right away to one of his sites. And I said, man, I would love that. And I'll tell you what, you know, anything I find, you're more than welcome to it. Um, you know, put it in a collection with the rest of the stuff you found from that site. You know, I, I'm just, I'm not greedy, but if you're going to invite me to your site, I'll, I'll give you everything I find, you know, or, Let's meet on mutual ground. You know, I'm I'm good with that. Let's get to know each other. And that's what we did the first time we, we met. Wow. Hey, Mike, can you be here tomorrow? <laughs> and, and help you hunt a site. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you're going to give me everything, that means, I, that means if two of us hunt this site, I got in mind, I'll have twice as much at the end of the day. <laughs> oh, I'm, just, I'm just joking. Right. You know? No, I don't care. I, I, Dorian, I'm just, I'm at the point where, you know, I've given so much of my stuff. I don't have much of a collection and I'm okay with that. I, I, you know, I wish I had the pictures. Um, I've, I've lost so much on computers over the years that, that I wish I had the pictures, but I don't miss the finds. You know, if I can leave it with the homeowner and the homeowner loves it and loves the history of their house, to me, it belongs there. Um, you know, the, the relics out of that farmer's field and he knows what was yeah. there and it's, you know, second, third, fourth generation and, and he appreciates it. I, I don't need to take it home. I, I mean, uh, I just, uh, I don't, I don't have that. You, you know, if you keep your stuff in display cases and all together from the same site and you've got a site that you'll take me to that you've got a good collection already built up. Yeah, I'd rather give it to you than haul it around, Dorian. That's just how I am. Well, okay, Mike. I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the hot spot here. Okay. All right. You're hunting. Uh, you're hunting uh, John Doe's property, and uh, you told him you're gonna give give him whatever you find, and you dig a 1776 Pewter Continental dollar that's gonna book at about 185 thousand dollars. What do we do now? Well, unfortunately, I would have to stick with my because if I said it, I mean it. I mean okay. it would it would break my little heart. But yeah. <laughs> you know, go, going into that, you know, th- there would there is an understanding. Hey, if something is really valuable, we split it, or you know, something like that. Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna come hunt your site and find a a coin yeah. worth a half a million dollars and and hand it over without us but I'm going to go into it like that as well, you know, ahead of time. Hey, if I, you know, if we find something crazy, you know, I mean that you bring up a good point. All of that needs to be discussed beforehand. You know, I know people who split their hunting. If they find anything worth over a hundred dollars and they decide, you know, they have a price. I, I don't know what, what it is. I want to say it's over a thousand. They decide to split it and and sell it now here's my thought 
if you and I go into a place uh, together that we both worked on getting permission or, or researched or uh, you got the site, but I, I get sites for us, you're, you know, you're somebody I hunt with on a regular basis, then uh, my thing is going to be you, you find what you keep and I'll find what I keep. You know what I mean? And and I don't care if you find a coin worth a, a million dollars. You found that. That's how I like to do it. I don't want to, you, you know, what happens if we find, let's say we, we if we're, you know, if we find something worth over a thousand dollars, that is a lot of money to me, but it might have such historical significance. I would never sell it. And you want to sell it. You know, you're just getting, you're asking for trouble. Um, you know, if you, if, if it's your hunting partner, you do what you want to do, but you know, you, he gets your sites, you get him sites or her sites. I feel like you guys should, should keep what you find. That's my opinion, but you work it out ahead of time. You know, if it, if it is on one of your sites, the last thing you want to see is somebody dig something of significant value and you guys didn't work something out. Do you agree well, with that? Right now I'm working on a project involved. Yeah, I do. But I'm going to ask you another another question in a moment. But I want to make a comment first. Um, working, I'm working on a project right now that involves 1,200 uh, missing, brand new, at the time, Springfield Civil War rifles. Okay. Uh, I believe they were thrown into a body of water. I think I know where it's at. And I've got a, a part. Partner in this, since we're going to go magnet fishing um, for these lost guns, okay. and if we're successful, we're going to basically we're working on agreements so that each one of us will keep three or four of the best rifles. And then the rest we're going to pool and sell and split the profits. Okay. Uh, you know, it's the way we've chosen to do it. Now, Dorian, Dorian, that we're, we're, hold on. I'm, if I'm, I've got to make it, he's got to make it, and I pull, hey, and Dorian, I pull up Dorian. one rifle and he pulls it. Hey, Dorian, you're cutting out real bad. Okay, um, let me see what I can do here. Yeah, you're you're so bad. We can't. can you hear me now? You're sounding way better now. Okay, I've raised up my computer. And I'm getting more signal through the window here. Um, if I can keep it, are we still okay? Yep, yep, we're good. Okay, okay. So, um, anyway, you know, if 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 my partner pulls up two rifles and I'll pull up 18, we're going to basically pull, you know, we're going to split to 20 rifles in terms of what we get for them. You see? Yeah. Uh, because that's not like where we're both in a field and, you know, if we, if we were hunting a field for artifacts, he keeps what he finds and I keep what I find. But when we're working a, that's what I call a treasure recovery project. It has the potential to put more than just a few dollars in our pockets. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what, I mean, the way I look at that, 
those treasury recovery projects provide funds that allow me to travel and work on other treasury recovery projects. Yeah, absolutely. Now, here's what here's a question I wanted to wanted to propose to you. Um, what do you think? Let's say you make a deal with a coin or with a landowner. You got an old house site, you know, date seventeen hundreds, and uh, the guy says, "I, you know, I, I lived here. My family's lived here for three generations, and nobody's ever had a metal detector on the place." And so you cut a deal with him to split whatever you find. Mm-hmm. And let's say you go out and you work this house site, and you find, <clears throat> excuse me. You find, say, 40 coins, and uh, they're a little bit of everything, large cents, half dimes, uh, old coins, I mean, really nice ones. And now you have to split these 40 coins with this landowner. What is the most equitable way to make a split since the, the coins have different values? Hmm. Um. I don't want to put you on the spot too much. I'm going to share with you what what we've come up with as the absolute most equitable way to handle that. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, go ahead. I mean, if you want to take a shot at it, go ahead, but then I'll tell you what we came up with. Well, I, I think you – I mean, you could do it a number of ways. I, I mean, does the value matter to you? You let him pick what he wants then, or, you, you know, you go through and you give some of the prices and you say – you know, I'm planning on selling mine or however you want to. I mean, you just got to work it out to where everybody's happy. And I think that can, that can go different ways. I mean, you might find a coin that really sticks out to him that that's not worth anything, but that's what he wants. I mean, I'm just not, you you know, it's why I'll never be rich. I'm not a greedy person, you you know? Um, Sure. But, you know, tell me how, how you, you, you would do that. Okay, I think I think you're going to love this. One of the two people, and, and you give the landowner the choice. He can divide the coins up into two piles, 20, 20 coins in each pile, and you get first choice of the pile. Yep, we've done. I've done that privy digging with bottles. That's perfect. Yep, absolutely. Or Draw- you know, if he says, you know, I want first choice of the pile, then you divide the coins up. And he, he makes the first choice of the pile. Now you both have a reason to want to be as fair about it as you can. Mm-hmm. That is brilliant. Or draw straws, and then that person goes first, and they pick a coin. Then you pick a coin. Then they pick a coin. Then you pick a coin. We've done oh, no. that with privy digs. I wouldn't do that with a landowner, because if he comes out on the short end, and after you leave, he's going to start doing the slow burn, and you're going to end up uh, – you know, getting a bad reputation or uh, losing your permission if you plan to come back. You know, the only the only fair way to do it is for one person to divide the coins and the other person to pick, to pick a pile. Yeah, that's a good that's a way good way to go about it. Absolutely, yeah. I want to say Mike brought up another really good Mike Mike Fusion uh, brought up a really good point, and and I've seen this and. For those that are newer to the hobby, listen to this. If somebody invites you to a site, uh, I've done this relic hunting. So let me kind of give you a little background story here. Um, Because sometimes we do cherry pick, but when I'm field hunting, I'm going to dig everything that's not iron. 
And if I invite you to go field hunting and you come in there and you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off trying to clear the coins out of there and you're missing the relics, I don't care. It's not about value or better finds because I prefer the relics over the coins, but you're proven to me that you're greedy because you think you're getting a better deal. I'll still smoke you. You might get more coins because you're going in there cherry picking, but well, field sites don't have a lot of coins, and I'm going to tear you up in good relics. But it shows me that you're greedy, and and I won't hunt with you. And and Mike's right. That's a real good thing to look for, you know. Or if you go hunt a site, a house site, and, you know, I've always found more in the front yard. And if they want the front yard all the time, and they've been doing it long enough, I'm not saying I haven't had real good luck in backyards, too. I'm just saying overall I do better in the front yards, and it depends on the houses. Uh, if they, if I see them always pushing towards the better part of the site, um, I'm not going to hunt with you. I'm not going to keep continue hunting with you. If I have you on a hunt and you tell me you don't, you don't have anywhere good to go. And then you, you, you get on Facebook and you, you post up a bunch of good finds, uh, you know, and, and I just had you down Saturday and then you don't have any place good to hunt up by you when, when we were talking about where we're going and Sunday, you post good finds from your own site. I'm not going to hunt with you again, you know, so you got, you really got to be careful, um, and, and watch what you're doing. But yeah, Mike made an excellent point. Watch for the cherry pickers. Absolutely. But I, you know, and, and where, where Dorian's going with all this, you know, you should definitely have it worked out with the landowner, the the person you're hunting with, whether they invited you or not. You know, you should have some kind of deal worked out. You know, here's here's our expectations. Here's how it's going to go. Um, I can tell you if I take you somewhere and you find something really valuable, as far as I'm concerned, that's yours. Um, that's just my opinion, unless we talk about it beforehand. Um, if I come to your site and I say, Hey, anything I find you can keep, uh, I mean it, you know, and Dorian, you made a really good point was, you know, Hey, if we, but if I find something from now on, I'll, I might say that same thing, but Hey, if I find something really valuable, we split it or whatever, because you're, you're right. I'm, I was setting myself up for trouble there because I, you know, how, how heartbreaking would that be? You know, it'd be like handing somebody, uh, you know, here's $50,000. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off. My rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, and I will say this, the real problems in treasure hunting start when you find a treasure. Mm-hmm. I don't care yeah. what obstacles you have in finding it, the real problems start when you find it. Yeah. You know, we, uh, I had a, a fellow wanted to wanted to hunt caches with me. Well, a cache hunting partner is 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 got to be top drawer. He, he's got to be a, a, a he or she's got to be a person of integrity, honesty, and not greedy. And you have to prove them, you know, on on hunts like relic hunts and things, so you can get to know them and see what motivates them. Because uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, I knew two guys in Dallas. One of them was a, uh, had worked for the CIA, and the other one had been the vice commander of the White Sands Missile Base. And they formed a treasure hunting partnership, and they hunted. Uh, they specialized in hunting stagecoach robbery loot, you know, Wells Fargo strong boxes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they hunted together uh, as great partners for twenty years, a little over twenty years. And they actually found one, and it was full of newly minted twenty dollar gold pieces from the San Francisco Mint. Uh, they literally had. Uh, the guy, the guy who's telling me this was the ex-vice commander of the White Sands base, and he said, he said we had our pistols on us for rattlesnakes, and he said I actually shot the lock off the strong box. The outlaws never got it open. They hit it because the policy was about to get them, and then they had a shootout, and they were basically all killed in the shootout. So anyway, these guys actually for, hunted for twenty years. They finally find a strong box with sixty thousand dollars. And twenty dollar gold pieces in it, and he shoots the lock off of it, and he's down on his knees. He opens it up, and he, and he said that the coins were still in the paper wrappers and just crumbled to dust when you touched touched them. Now imagine this whole thing is full of uncirculated twenty dollar gold pieces, hmm. and he's down on his knees in front of it, and he says, "Well, Fred, we finally found one." And he hears the hammer of a gun being pulled back. And he turns around and looks, and his 20-year treasure hunting buddy has this wild look in his eyes, has his gun with the hammer pulled back, cocked, ready to fire, pointed right at him, and he says, it's all mine. And he says, I got up, and I walked away with my hands up in the air, and I said, okay, Fred, it's all yours. He said, I was sure he was going to kill me, and he says, I turned my back to him so that the bullets would be in my back and they would know that it wasn't self-defense when they found me. Mm. Well, the guy didn't shoot him. He let him go, but he took all of the gold. Mm. So you see what I mean? The problems start when you find a treasure. They had a great time hunting together for 20 years. But he, even after 20 years, he did not know the man he was hunting with. Yeah, that's incredible. 
Well, I, I don't want to tell it on air, but remind me to tell you my little story. Uh, something I, I found that pretty much cost a friendship and, uh, uh, I'll explain to you another time, but yeah, it, it happens over, you know, it, it amazes me how it happens over something of very little value. And yet you're talking something worth a fortune. Um, uh, there's no doubt in my mind it can happen. Now I don't get it. I'm not that type. Are of you person. still there? Yeah. Can you hear me? You're breaking up on me. Uh, I'm wondering if I'm the listeners as well. I don't know. Um, as far as I know, I don't have any problems. I think it's on your end, but, uh, I just, we just lost, uh, we just lost. I don't know if you can hear me. I've got oh, a. There you are. Mess. You you there, Dorian? Okay. I think I think we're losing you. We got. I got dead. a message. Yeah, it said I had a message that said connection lost. Okay, we got you back. I, you sound real good right now. Um, okay. But yeah, it you know it's just not who I am. But I I could see that kind of thing happening. I you, you know. I, I don't know. I, 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 you know, it's kind of like serial killers. I can't wrap my mind around how somebody can murder like that and do that. Just like I can't understand how you could do that to your hunting partner, you know, or somebody that you had a deal worked out with, <coughs> you know, like that, how you could, you could do something like that, but it takes all kinds, right? It does. And you know, it's interesting because, you can start out. Both parties can start out actually with good intentions. I had a I had a, an acquaintance, a treasure hunting acquaintance, who worked Spanish treasure projects in Texas, and uh, he actually got on to a really good one. He got a map drawn on old deer skin that was found in a deceased guy's belongings, and uh, he located a piece of property. And according to this map. There was a uh, stack of gold bars hidden in a cave that they just rocked up the entrance, dry stacked rock to hide the entrance to the cave. Mm. So he went down. He went down to West Texas, where this was located, and he actually got permission from the farmer who owned the land to go look for this cave, and they agreed to split the gold bars. Well, it only took him about two or three hours, and he found the cave entrance back up a little draw where hardly anybody ever went. And uh, as soon as he pulled the rocks out, he could see he could see the stack of gold bars. They were crude smelted. They'd been uh, obviously been transported probably to towards Mexico City, and apparently there was a threat of Indian attack in the. Uh, uh, Mexican soldiers or Spanish soldiers that hid them. Uh, they hid them there, of course, to, to keep from losing them. And apparently they didn't survive the attack. So the treasure remained lost. Uh, other than the fact that one of them must have gotten away because uh, this map existed and it was dated like 17, uh, 1760 something, I think. Anyway, he finds the gold bars. He loads him up in his pickup. He drives up to the farmer's house, unloads his half of the bars, and the farmer's just perfectly happy with the split. You know, the man he's a man of his word. He agreed to split whatever was found. The treasure hunter was a man of his word. They uh, 
the farmer stacked the gold bars under his dining room table and they shook hands and parted company. And my buddy was basically a rich man because there was about, uh, I think there was something like, um, let me see if I, if I remember the quantity right. There was over 40 bars. They got, they got at least 20 bars a piece. Now, they weren't these big, huge, giant gold bars that you see in the movies, like Goldfinger and all that. These were, you know, smaller bars. They were probably uh, two and a half inches uh, tall, maybe three and a half inches wide, and about eight to ten inches long. But that's still a lot of gold. So that very weekend the farmer's son who lived in Fort Worth and who was a lawyer comes to visit his dad and he sees this stack of gold bars under the table and he, and he just, he comes unglued. Dad, you know, where did you get all this gold? So the farmer tells him, well, the lawyer says immediately, you got cheated. He's only entitled to a 10% finder's fee. You got cheated. Up to now, the farmer's been completely happy, right? Well, they took the treasure hunter to court. They had a three-year battle, and you can imagine the legal fees. And the judge awarded the treasure hunter a 10% finder's fee. He lost. Uh, he lost 80% of his gold. They had a deal. The deal was done, and I don't know how much that that, that crooked lawyer, uh, son of the farmer, bribed the judge with, but my buddy came out really on the short end of that deal. And the point was, and, and he learned the lesson the really hard way, when you make an agreement and then you find gold bullion or silver bullion, or even silver coins in a cache, and you agree to split. You split the value, you don't split the coins or the bullion. You quietly remove the bullion and the coins off the property. You, on your own, in your own way, you convert those bullions and coins or the farmer's share or the owner's share into cash. You put it in a paper bag and you stick it in his mailbox one night, or you mail it to him anonymously with no explanation. You never, never, never show the landowner bullion or caches of gold or silver coins. If you're smart, if you like having problems and being drugged into court and your life turning into a living hell, go, go on right ahead and, and split them. But all the guys that have learned the hard way will will say amen to what I just told you. You you and I have a mutual friend, somebody that you put me in touch with. And I I don't know and I haven't asked, but I suspect he's had some issues. I can't even say that he's found a cash. I don't know. But I suspect he has, and I suspect he's ran into problems with it. Like I said, the problems start when you find wealth. Right, 
Right. I could see that. So you have to be extremely wise and discreet in how you deal with that if you want it to be a blessing and not a curse. Right. See, that's another part of paying your dues. If you're going to hunt treasure versus coins and artifacts, it's one thing to find a, you know, a Virginia state steel bell buckle worth a few thousand dollars. It's a whole nother thing to find a cache of gold bullion worth several hundred thousand. I've seen uh, how people can act over something that's worth a few hundred dollars. So yeah, you know, and, and for the sake of the show, let's reel that in a little bit, you know, and it goes back to whether it's your hunting partner or, the landowner or whoever makes sure that there's an agreement, um, you know, and stick with it and, you know, be careful even with, you know, we're all excited when we find something good and value, whether, whether you're into it or not to find something valuable is, is cool. I've done it, but, be careful. Don't post something worth money. Be careful. You, you know, I'm going to get off on a little tangent here and a little bit off subject. Don't keep posting your good finds on Facebook and on social media and stuff because houses get broken into. That's a very real thing. I know a guy who had been buying and finding Arrowhead since he was a young man and Lived out in the country in a nice house, had a safe. Everything was in a safe that was bolted down, a big safe. Uh, you know, of course, he had showed people and, and different things. He thought they were safe. Somebody came in in broad daylight and stole the safe out of his house. So I'm just saying be very careful. You know, even if it's, you know, I found three silvers today and, oh, you know, I found this, this uh, belt plate. Or, you know, and then a week later you post some more stuff. Well, that stuff starts to build up and they can go back on your page or your account, whatever it is on social media. Wow. This guy's sitting on thousands of dollars worth of stuff. You know, you can become a target. It happens. Um, you know, believe me, I know people it's happened to, it's happened to me over something that really wasn't definitely not worth worth it um i can't i don't know for a fact it was over metal detecting fines i absolutely believe it was there's a lot to the story i'm not going to get into tonight but you know if i would have been home somebody somebody would have died you know is it worth your life you know for the people listening that 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 think they're going to do that you know a lot of us will you know there's a lot of us out there that that aren't going to tolerate that you better you better plan it real good because you don't want to catch me not you know you don't want to catch me when i'm home but i i think when you're talking even more than a few hundred dollars you're better off not telling people even if you don't plan on selling it whatever uh keep it you know i would be real careful what you post on on social media and stuff i i don't post my stuff anymore what i post isn't much because of that reason uh you got to be careful and just just like that you know what i'm getting at 
you can draw attention in several ways. You can, you can, they can be looking to rob you. You can actually have people in this hobby that'll follow you and try to go hunt your sites, uh, find out where you're hunting. Believe me, it happens. Um, you, you gotta be careful drawing attention to yourself. I, I don't post stuff cause I don't, I haven't found anything in a while. And what I do find isn't anything special, but if I did, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be posting it up. Um, you, you know, you, you, you really gotta be careful. Um, don't you agree, Dorian? Even little things can draw attention. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and if you have a, if you have a collection, uh, you know, you, you really need to store the valuable stuff off site. Don't have it at your home site, have it somewhere where that, you know, it's, it's not on your property. It's not in an outbuilding. It's, it's somewhere that, you know, you have to drive to, to even get it. Um, uh, you know, because you don't want, you don't want it there. Um, uh, Tennessee Jeff said you got to know how to hide it. I I agree, but you know the guy with the big safe bolted down in his house. He never thought, you know, they come out. I believe they cut the had to cut the floor out, and they stole his safe. We're not talking one of these cheap, you know, two three hundred dollar safes. We're talking several thousand dollar safe, you know, uh, fireproof safes, and. uh I just, I'd be careful, you know, is it worth those bragging rights, you know, to make yourself a target and, you know, it can, it can happen very easily. You know, Bill, Bill told me a story. Somebody was going back to his sites. He'd post fines and they would look in the background and stuff and, 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 you know, I, I'm, I don't think Bill had found anything extraordinary in that amount of time, maybe some silver coins, some cool relics, but, uh, you know, over that, Hey, this guy lives close to me. Hey, I recognize that in the background, you know, and then, then he he took notice. And then next thing, you know, Bill's, Bill's going back to sites. He hunted two, three days earlier and they're, 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 they're hunting. Uh, yeah. Tennessee Jeff says, don't tell no one. No, Exactly. Um, you're, you're better off not, not talking about it. And it's, you know, I'm not saying you can't share it with, with, you know, your, your hunting partner of years that, you know, has a nice collection as well. But, you know, these people that post all this stuff on social media, I'm just saying, be careful. I don't want to see it go away. I love seeing this stuff on social media. I'm just saying, be careful about it. Yeah, it's a good point. We get we get comfortable on social media, and I see a lot of people, not just in, in, in the field of melody technique, but I see a lot of people that post so much personal information on their Facebook sites that should never have ever been put up there. Because they're, you know, they're, they're, they're just naive. They're thinking that... Uh, Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, everybody out there is warm and fuzzy like they are, you know, and they just don't understand that, you know, it's just like where we live. We live in, I'm surrounded by woods. I'm, I live at the base of a big wooded mountain. Uh, and there are predators in those woods. There's black panthers, there's black bears, uh, there's bad snakes, there's uh, foxes and, and uh, coyotes that will eat your chickens and eat your pets. Uh, there's dangers out there. You know, and I have to be uh, constantly aware of the fact that when I walk outside in the daylight and the sun, the early morning sun's beaming through the trees and it's just beautiful all around me, it's deceiving. You know, it doesn't negate the fact that, that predators live in these woods. And so we have to be prepared to defend ourselves you know, and to see that they don't do us any serious damage. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Gypsy, uh, I don't know if you know this, Dorian, Gypsy had uh, her collection stole, stolen years ago. Um, somebody come in her house and, and grabbed it. And if I remember right, that's pretty much all they stole, or maybe that's all they stole. So, you know, somehow that got out to the wrong person. She was part of a club, I believe, at that time. Uh, you know, somebody at the club knew she was finding something, you know, so yeah. you, you gotta be careful, uh, you know, and, and you think, you know, I had said that to somebody and they said, you know, uh, I've got guns and this and that. Well, I'll tell you the guy who had his, uh, big safe cut out of his floor and stolen in daylight had guns as well. You know, I have gun, I had guns, um, you know, when somebody w was brazen enough to break into my house in, in broad daylight, you know, they're lucky they caught, they caught me away. That's the only thing. But, you know, don't think, you know, some of these criminals are so good that if they put that, that kind of thinking and thought into something productive, they, they could be very successful people. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, I mean, honestly, it's it's pretty mind-blowing some of the things that people get away and steal. Um, but I'm just saying be careful. Uh, and you know what, Mike? That being careful comes at the other end of paying your dues. You paid your dues. It's paid off. You've got a collection. You've got great fines. Well, that's fine. But now the last part of paying your dues is to be sure and secure yourself against being an easy mark for the very thing you're talking about. Yep, yep.
So, like I said, you know, it really is when you when you when you think about it, you know, and you look at it, it really is all about paying your dues. Uh, you know, and, and what we mean, of course, by that is is learning the ropes, learning what works, what doesn't work, what's safe, what isn't safe. Uh, and if you do, you know, an exercise, as they say, due diligence, then, you know, you're going to have a lot of great experiences. But you're still going to have a few negative ones along the way, too, because that also is part of paying your dues. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I just, folks, be careful. Uh, I've known too many people it's happened to. And uh, I'll tell you, if I ever find anything of value again, nobody will know. I I mean, you, you know, Dorian, I could tell you and you could tell somebody that you've known for 20 years and would never think would say anything and the next thing you know i'm a target it's not worth it you know it's just not guys be careful um watch even posting your 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 stuff on facebook even your stuff that's not valuable you know i i notice like you know i'll notice patterns like you know this person posted you know you see a post every two or three a week and it's more stuff. And, and it got me thinking like, wow, this guy has found a lot this, this last month and, and keeps posting two, three, four posts of these killer finds. And in my head, I don't know them. They're just, we follow each other on Facebook. And I think, my goodness, you know, somebody needs to tell them, be careful. I don't know them to tell them that, but I want to say, Hey, you know, you just got to be careful with that. You know, if you, Go back and look at your pictures. Okay, you've not found anything of any extreme value, but it all adds up. <clears throat> yep. Well, that's uh, that's right. Dorian, um, you about ready? To, let's let's get to wrapping this up. I've uh, you, you know we've been at it too. We've been we started a half an hour early, and I, we've been sitting here at the same place. I'm ready to get up and do some moving and. Uh, that kind of stuff, and uh, yeah. Okay. All righty. You got anything well, you want to add, or that you wanted to bring up? Well, you know, I, I guess if there's a final thought here on this, it's that uh, just like the weather, every hunter is going to have a dry spell every now and then. You're going to have a little drought. I had a silver drought that lasted two long years. And when it finally ended, and it only ended because I didn't give up. I just kept going out and kept hunting and kept hunting and not finding silver. Finally, when it broke, I found silver on 11 hunts in a row. And that's just the way it is sometimes. There are droughts and there are times when it seems like you can do no wrong. You go out and every, almost every site you hit, you got goodies coming out. But the big thing is it takes hanging in there. It takes perseverance and it takes getting out and swinging that detector. Mm-hmm. Some, something I absolutely, I, I agree a hundred percent. And I want to, I want to kind of, my final thought here is we've been having Jeff and, and, um, and Katie and, listening to the show now for a good several times and um 
I want to speak to them, but also anybody else new to the hobby. You know, it is hard at first until you start finding the good stuff and, and it takes time, but believe me, it's out there. Keep learning your detector, keep digging. Uh, it, it comes, believe me, you guys are in a great part of the country. You're surrounded by awesome coins and relics. It just takes time to learn your detector and find the right kind of spots Keep talking to people, ask, don't be afraid to ask questions and you'll get there. I think the hardest thing you're right there, there's dealers and stuff who don't take the time, but the hardest thing is for somebody new, um, you know, getting your swing down and understanding your detector enough to make good finds and how to deal with trashy sites and stuff like that. And once you get some time under your belt, the fines will really start coming. Um, so don't be impatient. Just know you got to pay your dues, put the work in, and it'll it'll happen. It will happen. Couldn't agree more. That's, that's what it's all about. And, uh, you know, look, look, guys, if... Most of you are a lot younger than I am. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing 72 and I haven't lost any of my passion for metal detecting. I'm still excited about it. I have a bucket list, you know, there's things I want to find before uh, I hang it up for good or life hangs me up for good, whichever comes first. But you know, the point is this is, this is a, this is something that, gives pleasure and satisfaction and a sense of accomplishment for an entire lifetime if you stay in it. If you pay these dues and you get to that point, like Mike says, where the good finds start coming, you're going to find it was well worth your perseverance and your effort and all those pull tabs and things you dug that you didn't want to dig, but you did. We've all all been there, done that. But we've also, those of us who have stayed involved, have done well. Absolutely. Um, I want to say Bill said stick to it about a year from now. It'll just click one day. Uh, I think Bill's on the right track, but find people in your area that will hunt with you, who will take you under your wing and, and you're talking, they will take months off of that learning curve. You know, get, get with Matt who would be more than happy to get with you guys. He's got an ORX. Uh, He'll, he'll find stuff and compare signals, that kind of thing. And he will take so much time off that learning curve. Tennessee Jeff says, look for all the old Springs. I, I have never hunted around a spring where you're not going to find something. Springs were, you know, they say the river's, the rivers and creeks were the highways uh, uh, in the day, and I totally agree. Um, the problem with creeks and, and rivers are they often flood. Stuff gets, you know, there's modern trash pushed up up inland and stuff, and, and they, they can be really hard to hunt. You find an old spring where a spring was on an 1800 map or wherever, you're going to find something because people traveling camp there often, often military. Uh, those were hot spots. Uh, I don't know of a spring 
in Ohio, not like I know them all, but the ones I know of, I don't know of one that wasn't very significant. So, yeah, I, I that's a very good, uh, that's a great um, tip. It is, yeah. And uh, I even, one time, uh, Jeff, I even dug a Model T spring in the spring. <laughs> I really did. That's funny. <laughs> Model T spring at the spring. Yep. Yeah, Bill's Bill's got a good one. Look, one contour lineup from a water source. Yep, for sure. That's a great one. Um, um, Bill says he generalizes a lot. I I understand, Bill. I what? But yeah, it might not be a year. It might be six months. He's just generalizing. What I'm saying, whether that's a year or six months or two months. Get with somebody local who who's a good detectorist that that'll help you enough that they will take they will shave so much time off that learning curve. Yep, yep. So uh, there you go. Bill says folks knew where the flood line was just as we do today. True, but also people weren't real smart sometimes. I know of a, a whole town site that was moved, well, several. Because they were too close to the to the water, um, so not always. I know of a, one of the earliest settlements in an area that they moved it after roughly three years because it kept flooding. Well, duh, you're right on the river in a low spot. Um, so, yeah, that overall, Bill is right, but uh, th- it's not. I mean, you're going to find nine out of ten places are higher up off the off the water. But don't be surprised when you find one that's uh, that's that's close that's that's not high up off the water. So, uh, yeah, Bill, I'm not even talking about that site as I was talking about it. Uh, think that one site that one popped in my head, but uh, I'm talking about a whole other site. But yeah, too funny. But uh, all right, uh, once hey. you once you send us off, wait. Oh. I was gonna say I, I want to. We'll give Bill a treasure lead here. Okay. Okay. Uh, there's a little town on the Ohio River called Warsaw, Kentucky. You can Google it, Warsaw, Kentucky, and right behind the courthouse, uh, out in the river, two steamboats collided. And if you can believe this, one was the United States and one was the America. Huh. They collided, burned. Uh, and sank, and there were at least three safes between the two of them. Uh, one of them was full of, uh, I think, silver coins being transported. Uh, and this happened back in the uh, 1800s. Um, I'm forgetting the date now. But I know I found out about it back in the 80s, and I know there has been absolutely no modern attempt to recover those safes. They're still there in that river. And I think the river is about 30 to 35 feet deep there. Wow. So there's you. There's your bonafide treasure lead. Wow. How cool would that be? Yeah, and sometime, you know what we we ought to do, Mike, we ought to do a program, and we ought to talk about, uh, you know, famous treasure stories. Uh, I've had, for anybody who might be aware, uh, there's a famous set of silver mines called the John Swift Silver Mines. And... uh, I worked at Project for nearly 30 years, and I found four of his six silver mines. Uh, wow. There's quite a story there. I wrote about it in my book on uh, 
on volume two, Heroes and Hostels. But anyway, maybe we ought to take a show and just talk about, you know, real big treasures. And, Let's and do various, it. Various I would love, yeah, I I think would like, I would love for you to go over some that you believe are, are fiction and, and, you know, different ones you don't believe and why and, and kind of break down some of the different treasure leads. I'd love that. Yeah, we can we can do that, and and you know I'll be happy to share some tips along the way that uh, you know I learned when I was I was being mentored by some professional treasure hunters that, that I met at Garrett's. Um, yeah, you talk about a skilled profession; it really is. Uh, you know, one of the there's surprises. One of the surprises I'll just give you a little teaser. Uh, I found that the guys who make a good living better than good living at treasure hunting. They told me that they only found uh, a cache on the average of about one every year and a half and that everything else in between was empty holes. Now, how's that? How's that for perseverance? Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know if I got it in me. Yeah. It takes a special kind of person to hunt treasure professionally and, and do good at it. Uh, you know, but, uh, one thing I like about all of those that I met, they were all characters. They were they weren't plastic people. They had great personalities. They were interesting. They had stories galore. You love to spend time with them. You love to sit around the campfire. You know, uh, I like to go out thinking that people regarded me as one of those people you know i i wouldn't feel a bit bad about being seen in that light because they were really truly a great bunch of people and eight out of ten of the professional trainers were people that were utterly trustworthy and honest and not greedy of money they were yeah. signs in the discovery yeah jeff so, made, i think uh, we might have a good program there in jeff that made a, uh, an awesome uh, uh suggested something really awesome he said we should end each show on a on a uh, treasure lead. We can do that. How cool would that be? We can do that. Yeah, and, and I love it because you know what? That's an innovation. I've never I've never seen anybody do that. No, I think it's a great idea. Let's do it. Let's do it, uh, Dorian. Let's let's get off of here. It's we're two and a half hours in, and I it's we've actually been sitting sitting on the on the phone for three hours and i am ready i i uh you know unfortunately i can't do things like get up and and go get water or use the the bathroom while we're on the on the podcast so uh i'm overdue for all of the above and uh let's let's call it a night but i had fun doing this show it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun Hope that uh, hopefully the audience enjoyed it as much as we did. Hopefully, probably. If not, they enjoyed talking in chat. I think. There you go. <laughs> well, and thanks for all the comments, guys. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and again, once again, thanks for that suggestion. We'll see if we can't give you some kind of a treasure lead every week. Absolutely, I think that's a great idea. Great idea. So we'll do that. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in and. Uh, we're sure glad you did, and uh, we'll be back next week. Well, good night, everybody. Good night.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.